the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Deuteronomy. Moses gave the Israelites a brief history of how God had liberated them from Egypt and proved his faithfulness these 40 years of wandering the desert wilderness. Moses was going to remind them that God was good, not because of anything they did nor anything they were. God chooses to be good on the basis of his own nature. Moses reminds the people of how they rebelled against God over and over again. He started with their worship of the golden calf. We look at Moses' reaction to the golden calf as we pick up with Pastor Will in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 19. Verse 19, for I was afraid of the anger and the hot displeasure wherewith the Lord was wroth against you to destroy you. That word afraid there, it's a very rare word in the Old Testament, very rarely used, only a few times. It means to experience anxiety and dread about the future. Moses truly thought that they had blown it so badly that God might be done with them. And he hadn't thought, he didn't know any way to rectify the situation. And so he spent 40 days, again, now remember the dude hasn't eaten in 40 days. Now this time, I don't know if he fasted bread and water. I think it mentions water as well, but I'm not sure. But he takes 40 days where he's not going to eat again. I don't know about you, but I'd be craving food at that point. And Moses is like, I can't just go back to normal life. I don't know what to do. I don't know. God might be done with us. This might be the end of the road. And so he begins to intercede for them. Now, why did Moses think that this was that big of a deal? It's interesting. Psalm 103, 7 says, the Lord, well, let me read it to you. It says that he made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. In other words, there's a difference there. The children of Israel saw his acts, but Moses really knew the Lord. He knew what God was like. Moses understood just how much God hated sin and just how wicked sin is. Sometimes we can treat sin like it's no big deal. We can treat sin against our spouse that way at times and be like, well, you know, it happened. I'm a sinner. Not realizing how much we've hurt them or or maybe a brother or sister in the Lord. Well, yeah, you know, I was rude, but you know, I'm a sinner. It happens. I don't think that should ever be our approach to it, especially when you're making your apology. And Moses understood just how much God hated sin, that he was going to judge people for all eternity because of their sin. And so he knew that God never ignores sin, that if I continue in sin, he has to deal with me. And so Moses, as he is seeking the Lord here, he's afraid. I don't want you to be done with us, but I don't know how to fix this. So for 40 more days, he's praying and seeking the Lord and interceding. And verse 19 says, but the Lord hearkened unto me at that time also. And the Lord was very angry with Aaron to have destroyed him. And I had to pray for Aaron also at the same time. God was ready to take it out on Aaron as well. And he said, I had to intercede for him too. While seeking God, Moses knew he had to do something about that idol. You know, he had to do something. That was a starting place. So he did. In verse 21, it says, And I took your sin, the calf which you had made, and I burnt it with fire. I stamped it and ground it into very small until it was as small as dust. And I cast the dust thereof into the brook that descends out of the mountain. And he doesn't tell us here, but he made all the people drink from it. And the idea is, I'm going to make you drink your idol and see how powerful he is then. And just to point the thought that this is not a replacement for God. There's no comparison. 
But when we're in sin or when we've done something horribly wrong, repentance is the immediate answer. That's the first thing we have to do. But it's not the only answer. Moses, he says, I prayed and the Lord hearkened unto me and he showed mercy. I prayed for Aaron and the Lord showed mercy there as well. Do you realize how much God hates sin? I think part of our journey in life is on this side is to gain a better understanding of how much God hates sin so that we would hate it too, that we would love what he loves and hate what he hates, that we'd become people who fear the Lord. But do you also realize that God wants to show mercy and he will do so when you repent and ask for it? Just as God hates sin, he loves mercy and he wants to show it to us when we repent. We need to remember both those truths. See, if we just focus on the fact that he hates sin, well, then we, we kind of go out and hang ourselves like Judas did. If we just focus on, oh, God loves to show mercy, we don't ever repent. We need to understand both. And then we could truly fear the Lord and draw near to him. Now, I think it's interesting that Moses points out here that God wanted to destroy Aaron. That was not told to us in the book of Exodus. And I love what Warren Mearsby said. He said, never underestimate the importance of spiritual leaders who encourage obedience to God's word. Aaron failed God in this area. God had appointed him as the high priest. He had failed his brother Moses, who was depending upon him to guide the nation. And he had failed the people who desperately needed strong spiritual leadership. And so God was gonna deal with him in a very strong way. God holds leaders to a greater accountability. That's James chapter three, verse one, not Pastor Will's idea. James chapter three, verse one says, let there not be many teachers among you for you shall receive the greater judgment. That is truth. What is it when the mother of James and John came to Jesus and said, hey, you know, good Jewish mom wants to set her boys up, right? And she says, hey, Jesus, grant me anything I asked for. He's like, what would you like, mom? Let my boys sit, one on your right hand, one on your left in your kingdom. And Jesus says, that's not for me to give out. But he says, boys, you think you can drink the cup I'm going to drink? Like, oh, yeah. We like the way this is going. Yeah, we'll, we'll take that cup, Lord. And he's like, oh, you will. <laughs> you will. And they both suffered greatly. But the idea there is if you're a leader, there's a greater responsibility, a greater judgment. James was the first one of the apostles to die for his faith in the book of Acts. John the Beloved, you know, he, he was imprisoned, went through lots of difficult times. If you're a leader, there's a greater responsibility. So always, always encourage people to obey God. Always, never compromise obedience. Never, ever. If the word says this is what God wants someone to do, then you tell them this is what you need to do. I have been in many situations where as a pastor, I have known that looking at the person across from me, when I tell them what God's word says, they're gonna get mad at me. I have known it, but you have to do it because you have a greater responsibility to him than you do to them. So even if you fear they'll turn against you, always encourage people to obey the Lord. Now, verse 22, Moses leaves the whole golden calf experience, and then he lists a bunch of other instances. He says, and at Taborah, Taborah happened in Numbers 11, 1 through 3, right after they left Mount Sinai, they were complaining. Doesn't tell us about what. God had to deal with them there. And at Massa, and this was just before they got to Sinai in Exodus 17. No water, and they were complaining to the Lord, you know, and Moses goes, Lord, where am I going to get water for all these people? And that's when the whole rock situation occurred. Then there was Kibroth Hatavah. This is right after Tibera. That's in Numbers 11, 4 through 34, when they're like, ah, oh, this manna. We don't want this manna anymore. We just need some meat. It'd be so nice to have some meat. Then they started talking about the cucumbers. Last I checked, cucumbers isn't a meat group. Garlic and leeks. Yes, maybe that's how they made their meat in Egypt with all those things. Lord says, you provoked the Lord to wrath on all those occasions and God had to deal with you. There are many other times Israel defied and disobeyed the Lord. But in verse 23, one other time also stands out as really bad when they got to the edge of the promised land the first time. You remember, they sent the spies in 
In verse 23, Moses goes back to that. He says, likewise, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, go up and possess the land which I have given to you, then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God, and you did not believe him, nor hearken to his voice. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. Again, Moses' words sound very harsh here, but he's trying to drive home the point. Israel should never think they're the good guys here. This is not like the traditional good guy, bad guy story. Israel's the good guys. Canaanites are bad guys. Good guys, beat the bad guys. Yay, everybody's clap and smile at the end. No. And the problem is, is we need to know that. Sometimes we can take that line of thinking as Christians, that we're the good guys and the world's the bad guys. Truth is, there are no good guys. There's one good guy. His name's Jesus. And we put him to death. So we must stay humble. Never think that God owes us something. Moses says, in that instance, I had to intercede for you again. Verse 25. Thus, I fell down before the Lord 40 days and 40 nights, like I fell down the first time because the Lord said he would destroy you. When you wouldn't go into the promised land and you refused to obey the Lord, the Lord said, Moses, step aside. I'm going to wipe them out and start over with you again. And Moses interceded again. Now, it's interesting, this is the first time we hear that Moses did this for 40 days as well. In fact, if you read the account in Numbers with the spies, it almost sounds like everything's bang, 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 bang. Not so. There was a lot of time where Israel's future lay in the balance, where Moses praying and seeking God and interceding for the people. He says, I fell down for 40 days and 40 nights, just like that time with the calf. I prayed, therefore, unto the Lord, and I said, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your inheritance, which you have redeemed through your greatness, which you have brought forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand. This shows how important intercessory prayer was to Moses. Moses always went to the Lord when the people messed up. He always interceded for them. And how we need to do that. If there is anything, anything that we need to do more of in today's age, we need to pray. Prayer is something that's probably the most neglected in our our walk with the Lord. And I don't just mean prayer in the sense of talking to God, but real intercessory prayer where you're actually bringing other people before the Lord and asking the Lord to work in their life. If you're a spiritual leader, you need to be praying more. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, you say, but yeah, my congregation or my ministry that I serve in or, or this ministry at the school that, that I lead, man, I just nobody's faithful or nobody's this or nobody's that. That's the time you need to pray most. You know, in 1 Samuel, they asked for a king, right? And Samuel's all upset because he's like, what, what's wrong with me? And the Lord goes, Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. And so he goes back to him. He says, you go back to them. You tell them what a king will do for them. He goes back and he says, this is what a king's going to do for you. You've asked for a king. This is the God's going to give you one, but this is what it's not going to be the best. And so the people realized that they had been selfish and prideful and asked for something they shouldn't have asked for. And so they said, well, Samuel, well, even though you won't be our king, will you still pray for us? I love Samuel's response. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, this is to a rebellious people, not a people that were doing the right thing. He says this. I have it underlined because I don't want to ever forget this myself. He says, moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. He says, God forbid I sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. If you're a leader in some way, you need to be praying for your people, interceding for them. Now, Moses, the full prayers, of course, are in Exodus and Numbers, and, but here he just gives us a summary of, of what his prayer was. And Moses makes his request on the basis of two important things, God's goodness and God's glory. He says, I prayed therefore unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, verse 26, do not destroy your people and your inheritance, which you have redeemed through your greatness. God didn't rescue Israel from Egypt because they were so great. He did it because he's so great. He says, you brought them forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not look under the stubbornness of this people. Lord, they're not good. Don't look at them. You're good. (laughs) Don't look at the stubbornness of this people, nor to their wickedness, nor to their sin. He says, don't look at that, Lord. If you look at that, we're in trouble. 
Moses, I love it here. He says, Lord, why would you destroy them now? They were stubborn when you saved them from Egypt. They'll be stubborn again, Lord. How about you just be gracious? That's a great way to pray for somebody. There are times when you're, you know, you're upset at somebody, like, oh, God, get them. But I found more often than not, as I'm really praying for somebody, that I want to see him make good decisions, or I want to see him come back to the Lord, whatever, and you're frustrated because you can't seem to break through as you're trying to reason with them. Pray and say, oh, Lord. Would you deal with them on the basis of your greatness, not their cruddiness right now, you know, not how bad they are? Will you deal with them on the basis of your goodness, not their badness? Verse 28, lest the land, when she brought us out, say, oh, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land which he promised them, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to slay them in this wilderness. Verse 28 here, it lists three lies the enemy tries to get people to believe. One, that God isn't powerful enough. Number two, that God doesn't love you. And number three, that God is against you. Those are three lies that will always come from the enemy, that God is against you, God doesn't love you, and God's not powerful enough for your situation. Do you ever listen to those lies? I know I have. They keep us from the Lord. They keep us from trusting him. Don't listen to those lies. Those will always be lies from the enemy because God is love. He's always going to love you. God's all powerful. So he's always powerful enough for whatever your situation is. And God, if you have come to Christ, he is not against you. He is for you. And if God be for you, who can be against you? When someone does believe those lies, they don't believe that God is awesome. And so Moses, as he's praying, he's saying, God, why do something that won't show how awesome you are? Why not forgive this people and finish what you started in spite of their wickedness? That's something that will show how awesome you are. And that's another great way to pray for somebody, especially if they're not walking with the Lord. Say, Lord, would you be gracious to them even though they're doing wickedly right now? Would you show how awesome you are by rescuing them? Yet they are your people and your inheritance, which you have brought out by your mighty power and by your stretched out arm. When we come to chapter 10, it can feel like a weird transition because then Moses, it's almost like he jolts back to the whole calf experience unexpectedly. He says, at that time, verse 1 of chapter 10, the Lord said unto me, Hew you two tablets of stone like unto the first and come up unto me in the mount and make you an ark of wood. The reason it seems kind of jolting for us or can be confusing is because Moses doesn't tell us he's going back to talking about the golden calf. But the reason he's going back is because he's finished talking to them about all their failures. Now he's going to talk about what God did because of the times he interceded for them. And he brings up what God did at the calf incident because that's what God did every time. He forgave. He restored. And that's why they're here today. Not because they're better than the Canaanites. Not because they're so good. But because he's so good. So Moses in chapter 10, he tells him, he goes, at that time when everything was so bad, I didn't know what God was going to do. The Lord didn't just forgive, but he restored. He said, the Lord said unto me, I want you to carve out two tablets of stone like unto the first. Come back up into the mount with me and make an ark of wood. It just means a box. This is not the Ark of the Covenant. Eventually, the Ten Commandments did go into the Ark of the Covenant, but this is a different box. Moses didn't make the Ark. Bezalel did. It's a different box. So Moses says, I made an Ark of shittim wood, and I hewed out two tablets of stone like unto the first. Hopefully, he finally got a meal while he's doing that. And he went up into the mount, having the two tablets in his hand. And God wrote on the tablets, according to the first writing, the Ten Commandments, which the Lord spake unto you in the mount, out of the midst of the fire, in the day of the assembly. And then the Lord gave them unto me. And I turned myself, and I came back down from the mountain. I put those tablets in the ark which I made. And guess what? They're still here today. There they be, as the Lord commanded me. In that time when Moses was fasting, seeking God's mercy because of what they had done with the calf, the Lord said, all right, Moses, I'll forgive them. I will restore them, so let's start over. Let's make this relationship work. 
And he tells him when he comes up this time, he goes, and by the way, Moses, could you please bring a box with you this time? I didn't tell you to smash the tablets. I told you to go down and see what the people were doing. But see, Moses was angry when he did that. And so God had Moses put the tablets in a box. So because the truth is, Israel's gonna mess up again. And he prefer Moses not to be carrying the tablets around when it happened. Because who knows what Moses might do with them this time. Aaron, what did you do this time? You know? So they go in the box this time. And there they were to this day. 40 years later, 40 years of disobedience, there they were. Despite Israel's rebellion, the Lord had preserved this relationship all through the desert. He says, you have that relationship right now, not because you deserve it, but because God has been so very gracious. Let me ask you a question. Do you realize how gracious God's been to you over the years? How much he's forgiven you of? And like I said, God, he didn't just forgive them, he restored them, but not only did he restore them, he blessed them too. How? Well, in many ways, but Moses decides to mention three in verses six through 11. He says, and from there, I came down with those tablets, I put them in the ark, and there they are to this day. And from there, the children of Israel, they took their journey from Beeroth of the children of Jachan to Moserah, and there Aaron died, and there he was buried. But the priesthood didn't end there. Eliezer, his son, ministered in the priest's office in his place. They went through a horrible tragedy. They lost their leader, a leader that God had restored as well and who became a good leader by the end of his life. They lost it. And then God gave them another leader who was much more faithful than Aaron, Eliezer, who was a good man, who does not have any of those blights in his resume like Aaron did. Not only that, second thing he gave them was not just a new good leader, but he also gave them, it says, fresh water, an oasis. From thence you journeyed from Gud Godah, I'm glad I don't live there, and from Gud Godah to Jotbath, a land of rivers of waters. That phrase, rivers of waters, it, it means an oasis. They, they didn't deserve, you know, a, a day at Volcano Bay, or I guess Wet n Wild doesn't exist anymore, but they didn't deserve a day, you know, at Aquatica, but they got one. There in the middle of the desert, they were at this beautiful oasis where they could just enjoy, you know, the environment where most of the time they were whining about the environment. God poured out that blessing upon them. And then verse eight, also another blessing. At that time, the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister unto him and to bless in his name. And they're still here to this day. Because of that, Levi has no part or inheritance with his brethren. They don't, they're not gonna get any land when they go into the promised land. The Lord will be his inheritance according as the Lord your God has promised him. And so I stayed in the mount according to the first time for 40 days and 40 nights. And the Lord hearkened unto me at that time also, and the Lord would not destroy you. And the Lord said unto me, Arise, take your journey before the people, that they may go in and possess the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give unto them. He gave them a good leader to replace Aaron. He gave them an oasis stop. And he, he gave them, the Levites, gave them the opportunity to serve alongside the priests. Now, why did he pick the Levites? Well, that goes right back to the golden calf experience. Remember when Moses finally came all the way down? And he said, Who's on the Lord's side? Well, who, who came to his side? The Levites did, right? And then the Levites, their job was to round up all the instigators in the idol worship, the people who didn't repent when he came down and they were put to death. So because of this, God chose them to be the assistants to the priests. And yet, where were these Levites, these really good spiritual Levites, where were they when the idol was being made? Though they were the first to repent, they weren't guiltless. They didn't deserve that role that God gave them, but God gave it to them anyway. God's just good, isn't he? He's just good. In fact, Moses says God is so good that when he returned to the mountain, the Lord proceeded as if nothing evil had happened. He said, okay, Moses, let's, let's talk about how we're gonna do all this. You know, and then at 40 days ended, he said, all right, arise, leave the mountain. It's time to go take the land. God proceeded as if none of it had ever happened. Isn't that cool? He's just good, just plain good. What's the significance of all this? Verse 12, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? 
What's the proper response to God's goodness? The word there require, it's a little bit strong. It simply just means, what's the Lord asking of you? What does the Lord want? Here's the point of rehashing all the ugly things from their past. Not to make them feel guilty, not to beat them up, but to say, what is God asking of you? Well, instead of thinking you're so good and that God owes you something, just love him, love him back, love him supremely because he is so good and because he's been so merciful. What is the Lord asking of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. How do you do that? To keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you this day for your good. They're not bad commandments, they're for your good so things work out well for you. God wanted from Israel just to love him back, just to be obedient to him. When you understand God's mercy and how good he's been to you and you embrace that, it produces right living. He says, behold, the heaven and the heavens and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's, your God, the earth also with all that therein is. Only the Lord had a delight in your fathers to love them and he chose their seed after them, even you above all people as it is this day. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be no more stiff-necked. The Lord says, uh, Moses says, the Lord owns everything already. You and I can't give God anything he doesn't already have. You say, what does God want? Well, he wants our submission. He wants our obedience. Well, creation already does whatever he wants. So even if I gave him that, it's not like I'm giving him anything more than the plants in my front yard do. God, I've been obedient to you. Okay, great. You now are at least on par with the moss on the window. Great job. I mean, there's nothing I can, I can say I've done extra. I've only done what the rest of creation does, fully yielded and submitted to him. So I can never think that I'm special and that's why God set his love on me or I've been so good and that's why God loves me. God has simply chosen to delight in us and to bless us. And that's all out of his grace and mercy. So don't try to get God to respond to your goodness. That will get you nowhere. You respond to his goodness with obedience. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and don't be stiff-necked anymore, he says. Don't be stiff-necked anymore. Circumcision was never intended to make a person righteous like they believed in Jesus' day. Circumcision was a symbol from the very beginning to remind Israel that they were to circumcise their hearts, to live life differently, to live a life that focused on pleasing the Lord. And I ask you today, does that describe your worship of God? Or do you go through the rituals of a attending church and maybe singing the songs and even studying the scripture while you remain stubborn to God's commands. Don't do that because the God who loves you, he is great and he's worth so much more. Moses says, verse 17, for the Lord your God, he is God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and a terrible, that means terrible doesn't mean he's terrible, it means he's awesome which regards not persons nor takes reward. He does execute the judgment of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the stranger in giving him food and clothing. So you love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You fear the Lord your God. Him shall you serve, and to him shall you cleave and swear by his name. He is your praise. He is your God that has done for you these things, these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. For your fathers, they went down into Egypt and they were just 70 people. And now the Lord your God, look at you, what he's done. He has made you as the stars of the heavens for the multitude. In the end, it's that same theme of Deuteronomy. We love God supremely because of what he's done, but we also love him supremely because of who he is. 
He's a God of gods. There's no God like him. He's a Lord of lords. There is no king. There is no president. There is no boss. There is no spouse. There is no mentor. There is no hero like him. He is a great God. That means he's a big God. Nothing in your life is too big for him. He is a mighty God. That means he's our champion. He's our hero. He's the one who rescues us. He is an awesome God. And you don't ever have to worry about his standard or his heart toward you changing because someone else doesn't like you and wants to slip him some money. He doesn't take bribes, doesn't regard persons, and he executes judgment for the disadvantage. He is fair always, especially to those who are in weak positions. If you're there right now, the Lord sees you and he will take care of you. And that's why we obey the Lord, not to put him in our debt, simply because he's great and he's done great things for us. Amen? Moses starts the chapter by calling Israel to listen up. And so we've seen here that right living, it doesn't come from self-righteousness. Right living doesn't come from legalism. It comes from understanding our past and then the mercy, the power, and the character of God and how he dealt with us. So let's be those who listen up and live these truths out. Amen? Let's all stand. Lord, you are indeed a God of gods. There's no other God but you. Lord of lords, there's no one we could look up to and admire, no, no figurehead that, that compares to you. You're awesome, you're fair and just, you're faithful, you're good. And we thank you for the love and the grace and the mercy that you've shown to us and washing away all of our past, Lord, making us new creations. And so, Lord, in light of that, we wanna walk worthy of the new creation you've made us. Lord, to stay humble before you, knowing We're capable of those things still if we ever get in the flesh. So Lord, we thank you for the mercy and grace you've shown to us. And we give our lives to you anew and afresh to love you supremely. In Jesus' name, amen. God does not overlook sin. Sin is a big deal to God. So big that God had to come into this world, suffer horrific injustices, and die at the hands of sinners just to deal with our sin. It is costly, but God is merciful. He is loving. He freely blesses us and gives us grace based on His own goodness. He blesses and gives because that is who He is, not based on our own merit or goodness. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.